welcome to Dialogue on Teaching, Wabash Center's podcast series. I am Nancy Lynn Westfield, Director of the Wabash Center. Paul Myrie, Senior Associate Director, is in the Sound Engineers booth. It is my great pleasure to welcome to the show today, Professor Melanie C. Jones. Professor Jones is Director of the Katie Geneva Cannon Center for Womanist Leadership. She is also Instructor of Ethics, Theology, and Culture at Union Presbyterian Seminary. Welcome, Melanie, to the show. So good to have you here. So good to be in the Wabash podcast world. Woo-hoo. For the first time. I'm for the first time, not the last time, but for <laughs> the first the last time. Not the last time, for the first time. So Dr. Melanie, talk to us about embodiment, right? That we've moved into these digital spaces. Even if we weren't in digital spaces, the politics of the body is ever present in our teaching. So for our listeners, just start, just, just start off slow and then we'll get into it, right? What is this notion of embodiment in teaching? Yeah, I think that's a great place to start. When I think, you know, this week we are in the beginning of the semester. Most folks are, you know, shifting their syllabus from syllabi, from um, in-person classes to thinking, what does it mean in this particular moment of COVID and other realities where we are shifting to virtual platforms and thinking about how we show up as educators and particularly what does that mean or how does that shift in terms of the Zoom room or the virtual spaces? In the classroom, so in-person teaching, I was always conscious about how I showed up in the room. There were particular markers of my identity, black, woman, plus size, millennial. So often generationally younger than most of the folks that I was teaching. And there were particular ways that I would attend to my aesthetics to assume a certain kind of authority in the classroom, whether that was making sure I wore my glasses or uh, being conscious about how I, this is just a black woman's thing, right? Being conscious about my hair in the classroom, right? Being conscious about um, uh, my clothing, um, even though there are many of my colleagues who would Uh, veer off into, you know, the jeans and t-shirt kind of phenomena, I knew that wouldn't be my pathway, right? Because of just how I showed up in the room. Well, the transition here into the virtual spaces, I'm asking these new questions about embodiment when most of the folks that I see who also see me are uh, encountering, we're encountering each other in the cyberspace. And so all of those accoutrements or all of those ways in which we've manufactured a certain kind of educational self just look different on the screen, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? So uh, marking those with, you know, these virtual backgrounds or um, trying to say, how do I shift that this is my classroom space versus my home, (laughs) even though I know I'm at home, right? Um, How do I make this an office professional space? What What are my boundaries in terms of virtual office hours when everyone thinks that I should be available at all times? So questions about embodiment Um, uh, are continuing to be raised for me when the virtual space looks different and most of what people see now is literally just my face. All of those other aspects of my body just show up differently or look differently um, in, in the context of the virtual platform. What I have seen is that many more people 
are interested in, in, in terms of students are trying to find me out on social media, trying to find my website or other aspects of seeing my body, trying to see, you know, how do we locate this person? Because all I've seen with, from them in the first couple of weeks is their face, right? Um, and so there are different ways in which we might see folks who are trying to be attentive to how do we mark this person in the space that we've seen them in, but also think about them as, as our teacher, as an educator. So just seeing each other's faces does not lessen the politics of race, the politics of gender, the politics of sexual orientation, right? We are a crazy species. It, just seeing the face still lends itself to people's interpretation of authority, people's interpretation or assumed knowledge or pseudo knowledge of who you are, what your authority is, and how much deference I should pay you. Yeah, yeah. What about the, po the, the politics of your face being on the screen? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think in terms of, of just navigating, you know, voice, right? Matching voice, sound with content, with who we see show up, right? So there are particular... I would say ways in which um, we have body cues in the classroom, right? We can kind of sense the room and get a sense of, you know, if there's a certain way in which you've pressed deeper into a concept or issue, how students respond to it. And then there are some ways in which you can make some ideological pivots or uh, uh, say, okay, this didn't quite go over as I thought. Let me shift this around. And there's some on the job, on the cue, you know, body cue kind of moves that you can make. That becomes a little bit more challenging on the screen because when someone goes, you know, out with their screen, is it their internet that's out? Are they not vibing with? Is it <laughs> the protest? Concepts? Right, you they know, protest and left. Right, are they protesting <laughs> this 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 theological move I'm trying uh -huh. to make here? Uh -huh. You know what's really happening. So the, the sensing of the room, I found that I have to ask more questions. Is everyone connecting? Let me stop right here. Are there questions here? Um, that that my cues have to be much more direct in terms of not assuming that uh, in ways that I could through body language before um, from the class that, that my cues are just a little bit more pronounced in terms of how's this moving? Let's go slow. Um, let's, let's dial back here. In addition to that, I was never a handout person. I, a millennial, true digital native, most of my stuff was online. Um, in terms of trying to do PowerPoints and all that or Prezi's or whatever, giving folks most of that stuff early on. But I found that tangible, even if it's, you know, PDFs or whatever, tangible things of something helps folks even beyond all of the things that I have going on in the background with screens and moving motions and parts gives another sensory perception to, um, to what we're discussing. So it, it has shifted how I approach or how, you know, how we approach in terms of learning styles and methods to ensure that we're connecting, that bodies are connecting with the concepts and ideas that we're discussing. So that warms my heart because when I was teaching, I was the handout maven. I had handouts every class session. And for the reason that you said for that tangible encounter, 
take it away, you know, even if it was on a screen or in a PDF or I had, I had put it on the blackboard or the canvas or whatever we were using at the time, I still had a physical thing for students to touch and to feel and to lose, mm -hmm. right? And for their dog to eat and all that kind of stuff. I became aware of how important body was to students. The body of the teacher was to learners in the classroom when students would ask, so consistently write something about my body in teaching evaluations and, and course evaluations at the end of the semester. Mm -hmm. So students would consistently say something like, I like the way she dresses and her jewelry. I'm like, that wasn't the question. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> or I remember one day in the classroom, I, I was making some, some bold gesture and a bracelet flew off. Right, right. And they're like, don't worry, doc, don't worry, doc. We got to keep going, keep going. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, things are happening. But so it, so it wasn't a negative, none of the comments were ever negative, What they were about my body or about my aesthetic, but it, they were telling me that my body was, the performance of, the way I performed my body in front of learners was as important as what I was, what I thought I was teaching learners. Mm -hmm. Right, that those they didn't see that those as separate things, which I tried to separate those things, you know, because of authority and all the things we tell ourselves about, yeah. about whatever it is we tell ourselves. But the body presence uh, continues to be, I think, that important even on the screen. That students, I'm just, re I'm just reiterating some of the things you said. Students want to know who we are. Students want to know our locations, whether they're intellectual locations, political locations, cultural locations. And if that means they have to go to our private websites, they want to know who we are as human beings. Yeah, They want a human experience and a human encounter with us. Yeah. You know, I have understood just within this last year or so that not only is teaching such a kind of public space, right, in terms of wanting um, students wanting the best of our public selves, but it's it's the intimacy, I think, that I once um, thought was present in the kind of physical classroom. I'm much more um, aware that this is such a public-facing space, particularly in the digital world, in the virtual world, right? Whereas even though on my syllabus, I'm like, do not record. I literally can't tell <laughs> if someone is recording, right? So I, 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 I am more aware that this is, this is every time I go to a class, this is a public lecture, <laughs> you know, and I'm assuming that the, the, the kinds of ways in which I wanted to create a the much more intimate space in the classroom where it's engaging students, that isn't totally missed, but, but the ways in which um, entering into folks' homes when folks are walking in the back, kids or, you know, spouses, partners, whomever. Pets, right? Many more people are experiencing <laughs> Right. Much, much more is happening in terms of how this class is translating to that that particular space. I've also thought about embodiment in terms of how is my body responding to this this lecture or this this topic that we're engaging. So I've been doing and, you know, I'm that, 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 that professor is thinking, what's my playlist for this class? What's my you know, what is my kind of video log for this class? What, what, how am I, what things come up for me, even if I'm not able to get to them um, in the actual space, if they're not actual, uh, you know, examples for the class, 
getting my 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 own sense of presence or my own ramping me up for the for the experience through some other avenues in order to say hey I know I've done all of these things today including I'm still in my home office how do I ensure that I'm ready for the classroom as well and how do I ensure I'm ready for the classroom as well as maybe playing some music as students come in because it is representing the aesthetic that I want to portray for this lesson, for this class, for this moment. Yeah. So there's all kinds of ways that we can tell students how we are, who we are for them in these public spaces, right? Education has, has always lived under the myth that it is privatized, Yeah. right? When you get all those people in the class, ain't no secrets, this is not Las Vegas, exactly. right? <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> they, exactly. they go out and tell it. It's not right. The cone of silence does not come down in these classrooms. So, but uh, Dr. Melanie, go back to the notion of intimacy in the mm -hmm. classroom, mm -hmm. because yeah. we as a society have, have um, skewed intimacy. Mm -hmm. We think of intimacy and we think of sexual harassment. We think of intimacy and we think of all the things that go wrong with touch and body. We think of intimacy and all the, the legalistic things that happen in public spaces and in corporate spaces and those kind of things. Those things aside, I'm not trying to say diminish those things, right? Because they are problems, yeah. but there's also space for learner professor intimacy that lends toward aha moments, that lends toward mentoring and deeper teaching, expansive teaching about the important things that we do teach. Yeah. You know, when I think about intimacy, I'm thinking about um, Dr. Carrie Day's work in uh, religious resistance to neoliberalism. And one of the claims that she makes is that part of what neoliberalism does is kind of makes everything individualized, me, mine, you know, them, theirs kinds of things and parses out and it fractures our ability to have shared relationships for us to say, we're both kind of in this together. We both have a similar interest. We both can work on an expansive view of this particular idea or, or, or notion. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, in line with, uh, you know, bell hooks and Paul Ferre, that, you know, education is the practice of freedom, freedom. The intimacy of teaching is we both really desire to explore these concepts really deeply, um, both you and I, teacher and student, right? Um, and that our shared desire to learn, to grow, to be developed, to be enhanced, to expand our own sense of knowledge, expand, use these tools as transformation for our communities, whether they're local or global, our kind of shared interest to, to, to be involved in the process of, of, of education, right, is what creates this intimacy, right? I'm deeply concerned about this. It's not trivial, whatever it is, it matters for whatever, right? And, and I hope that students bring that same level of deep interest, even if they, you know, you know, they're checking it off first, it's a core course, let me get this done. But hopefully throughout the 12 to 16 weeks that we're working together, they're like, ah, it's something really important about what happened in this space. And that's the intimacy that, that I hope that, 
you know, that, that students and teachers are sharing that we really have a, a deep interest in this and this, what comes of this class is something that we co-create together. So we can't, when we ask the question, who is the self who teaches, right? And we come up with answers like, it is the authentic person, it is the passionate person, it is the person who is open-hearted even, right? Then we can't then say, but keeps a an arm's length distance from the learner at all times, right? We then have to say intimacy. And even in saying that, we're not talking about crossing physical boundaries. We're not talking yep. about sexual exploitation, right? We're not talking about any of those things. We're talking about loftier things than just base carnal desires, right? Because we, we all know the stories of folks who broken those boundaries. That's right. not what we're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. We're talking about this something that happens in the space when a learner and teacher or learners and teacher, right? When that communal moment happens and, and there's a resonance that happens between people and that resonance creates knowledge, creates understanding, mm -hmm. creates those aha moments. That is just glorious. Yes, absolutely. You know, I, I once had a professor who, um, she was very interested about really surveying who was in the room. So one of the things that she did was she came with a kind of zero draft syllabus the first day that says, you know, we'll explore these topics, here are books we read, but I haven't really marked it because until I go across the room to see where really we can really co-create this syllabus. And she told us up front is that the challenge of giving you this kind of template may suggest to you that I'm unprepared for the course, but I want to invite you to consider that you're so a part of this course mm -hmm. that I really can't draft where we will go with this course until I know who all of you are. Mm -hmm. And the next week she showed up with a, a much more expansive uh, syllabus, but I, I was, so, I, I can't do that. I'm just you know not at that place, but I thought it was so courageous because it really was attentive to the, the, the classroom space as really a shared space. It's, it's something that, I know what I think you should learn in this course. I know what's important for this discipline or field. I have that sense. I know what can get us there, but what will you bring to this course that will shift the kind of trajectory of where, where we, how we approach it really. As a fascinating technique. I had a colleague um, who, who pursuing a similar thing would go in with a jam on the first day of the class would go in with a jam packed syllabus. Mm. everything that and the kitchen sink and go over the syllabus and then say to the class I'm going to leave the room you take out what you don't want in the syllabus mm -hmm. when you have made those corporate decisions I'll be in my office come get me and the person would leave the room mm. an hour or two hours later right it would sometimes it would take them a long time they would come get him and then they would say how they wanted to adjust the syllabus. But I, and it sounds like both techniques are going after similar things. How do you immediately on the first day capture the imaginations of the students to say, you are a part of co-creating whatever this thing called course that we're gonna do for this semester, for this period of time. I think it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I like that word imagination. I, I One of the things that I think that I've learned um, in this season is that really crisis breeds creativity. Um, it's one of the, I would say, outcomes of, of being at the brink 
of not only, you know, uh, kind of moral discernment, but also uh, being at this really need to make some hacks, if you will, to, to make some, some major shifts. And there is really a creativity, a sense of imagination and exploration that comes from that process of co-creation that says, even as educator expert, there are things that I want to learn from this class, right? I, I think that that's something that when we, you know, as educators approach this, like I've done all the training on this subject, I know, <laughs> right? But there are some things that we do desire to learn from, from the class that it becomes a kind of sense of shared space if we both go with some learning intentions. I tried to do this exercise on the first day of class of setting intentions. And I start um, students off with what's their one word for the semester? Similar to how people mark like one word for the year or one word for the month. And so many students, you know, first you get the first group of people was like, I got it, you know, I got it. And then so many students like, I'm so torn between one to three words. And I'm like, nope, you got to hone into one word, right? And at the end of the semester, we come back to that one word and we say, okay, your one word for this semester was growth. How did you grow? You know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. your one word was hope. What is hopeful, right? And to see their responses to, you know, their intention and, and, and where they, you know, ended up is always so fascinating. And I've thought about that as what is setting my intention for the course in terms of what's my one word or what's my kind of marker in the sand for what I hope to learn from this particular class as well. And, and seeing ourselves as learners is part of the deal, right? <laughs> that we came, most teachers, even if their passions have been snuffed out, want to teach because they are voracious learners, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So to keep that kindled within ourselves seems so important. Um, Professor Melanie, take the last few minutes. Tell us about the center and what you are doing. Yes. So I am happy to uh, be the director of the Katie Geneva Cannon Center for Womanist Leadership. It is, I mean, on a podcast about teaching, the master teacher, of course, was Dr. Katie Cannon, who believed teaching was her ministry. It was a way to set literally people free. And that was her orientation to life. And she gave so many gifts to her students. And so part of furthering her legacy is really to think about the Cannon Center as this space. Our mission is to cultivate new pathways to hold communities for Black women and to become, as a vision, um, the nation's premier global center for uh, womanist theory and practice. We are so excited because we're kind of organized around six initiatives. We double the W, if you will. Womanist wisdom, womanist witness, womanist wares, womanist worship, womanist works. Um, and our work this particular spring, April 2021, is culminating in this fascinating conference, um, this virtual conference, uh, in April of 2021. And our theme is the hinges upon which the future swings, the living legacy of womanism as a gateway to our futures. 
that theme really comes from one of Dr. Cannon's last articles, which was named The Hinges Upon Which the Future Swings. But it thinks more deeply about her naming of womanism as a gatekeeper, as she said, in the land of counterpain. And we're trying to think about in this tumultuous time, right? 2020, 2021 is, is becoming even more tumultuous, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the ways in which when we gather, even if it's virtually Black women gather, people of goodwill gather, that we reposition, refocus, and, and reckon with the future. So we're so excited about panels and lectures and all kinds of interviews to really energize ourselves and think about the next kind of wave of the future of womanism, but also um, thinking about this in terms of liberative, liberative practices uh, for people of justice seeking folks. And what do our listeners need to Google in order to find the Google, center? yes, Google www.centerforwomanistleadership.org. Um, or you can follow us on Facebook at Center for Womanist Leadership or on Twitter and IG at Just Womanist. Professor Melanie Jones, I thank you so much for this conversation. It's been a delight. Thank you for um, having and, me. And please, you will be back soon. <laughs> I look forward back. to it. <laughs> Listeners, the Wabash Center website is a place to look for resources on teaching, other podcasts, critical essays, our syllabi collection, all those kinds of things. We also have information about our grants for teaching projects and information about upcoming programming. Check out our Wabash Center website. A special thanks to podcast producer Carly Hollinsby and podcast assistant producer Rachel Mills. The music which we use to frame our podcast are the original compositions of Dr. Paul Myrie, our sound engineer. And we're out. How was that, Paul? <laughs> <laughs>